It's Monday, May the 18th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, India's new COVID-19 measures and China's new hotspot. First, the world in brief. India announced that it will launch a program of privatisation and will suspend new bankruptcy cases for up to one year in an effort to prevent mass business insolvencies because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The country's strict lockdown, extended by two weeks yesterday, has hit the economy hard. Merchandise exports from India plunged by a record 60% in April. The Chinese government fired six senior officials in the northeastern province of Jilin, which is at the centre of a new outbreak of infections in China. Residents in the Fengmen district of Jilin City were told to stay at home to prevent the spread of the disease. Some non-essential services, such as cinemas and karaoke bars, were also closed. Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, warned that economic recovery in America may take until the end of next year and may not fully recover until there is a vaccine. Last week, Mr Powell said more fiscal stimulus could be needed to prevent greater long-term damage to the American economy. President Donald Trump fired Steve Linick, the State Department's Inspector General. The White House said the President had acted on the recommendation of Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State whom Mr Linick had reportedly begun investigating, although the details are unclear. Democrats demanded an investigation. Sao Paulo's mayor said that the health system in his city, Brazil's largest, is close to collapse. The warning comes on the heels of the resignation of Nelson Teich, the country's health minister, just four weeks after his predecessor was fired by President Jair Bolsonaro. Both opposed Mr Bolsonaro's belittling of the seriousness of the coronavirus. Brazil has the world's fourth highest number of recorded infections. Japan fell into recession. The country's economy shrank by an annualised 3.4% in the three months to March, compared with the same period last year, after falling by 6.4% during the previous quarter. Those figures might seem positively bubbly once the results from the current quarter arrive. Japan did not declare the pandemic a national emergency until April. And fighting broke out between police and protesters who raised chants against shame and dictatorship in Tirana, the capital of Albania. Activists are angry at a plan by the Socialist Prime Minister Edi Rama to demolish and replace the National Theatre, a pet project of his. Opponents accused him of corruption and praised the existing structure as part of Albanian heritage. And now, here's today's agenda. Deadline approaching. Argentina's ninth default. Negotiations by video call between Argentina's government and American bankers resume in earnest this week with the approaching deadline to avoid default, potentially the ninth in its history. Both sides insist they want to avoid such an outcome. In the words of Martin Guzman, Argentina's economy minister, we want to listen, we want to see what alternative ideas we can take in order to reach a deal that works for everyone. Bondholders recently voted to reject Argentina's proposal to pay just 38% of the interest owed on a tranche of debt worth $65 billion, pushing negotiations down to the wire. The creditors have asked Argentina to improve its offer. The government has responded that any new debt deal has to be sustainable in the light of the COVID-19 pandemic, derailing plans for Argentina's economy to return to growth. If no agreement is reached, the country will default on Friday, when a $500 million interest payment is due. Hard sell. SoftBank's annual results. 
Masayoshi-san, a Japanese tech investor, will today announce a historic loss for his company, SoftBank Group, as it reports results for the financial year ending on March 31st. SoftBank warned in April that it expects to lose 900 billion yen, $8.3 billion, compared with a profit of 1.5 trillion yen the previous year. The chief culprits are SoftBank's $100 billion tech investing vehicle, the Vision Fund, which is backed by Saudi Arabia, as well as its own investment in WeWork, a troubled office-sharing company. SoftBank's massive bets on WeWork and other sharing economy firms, such as Uber and Didi, are backfiring amid the pandemic. SoftBank itself is one of Japan's most indebted firms, and investors worry that it could sink under its weight of loans. Today, Mr. Sun will doubtless talk futuristically about how the pandemic is accelerating technology adoption, but he will struggle to convince investors that the Vision Fund will be anything but a drain on precious resources. Feeling the squeeze. Ryanair's results. The annual results for Europe's largest low-cost airline out today were revealed just the start of the financial damage caused by the COVID-19 lockdown. They cover only the period to March 31st. Next year's results will be the real shocker. But Michael O'Leary, Ryanair's boss, says he is not too worried. He reckons that his airline, currently operating only 1% of its normal schedule, will restore 40% of flights by July and 60% or 70% by September. People are really gagging to get out, he notes. But will they head for the airport? Most jet setting has never been essential. Holidaymakers can book staycations. Businesses can use video calls. Michael O'Leary says his ultra-cheap fares will tempt people back to the skies. But success depends on Ryanair filling more than 90% of its capacity. Pile em high, sell em cheap is not a viable model if airlines have to leave seats empty to enforce social distancing. Political fault line. The Guangzhou Uprising Since South Korea embraced democracy three decades ago, there have been plenty of attempts to establish exactly what happened to a pro-democracy protest that began 40 years ago today in the city of Guangzhou. Crucial questions remain unanswered about a brutal crackdown, including how many people died and who gave the order to open fire on protesters. A new fact-finding commission launched last week will seek to shed more light on what happened. Four decades on, the significance of the uprising remains politically contested among South Koreans. Left-wingers, including the current government, see it as an important milestone in the country's road to democracy. Right-wingers are more likely to dismiss it as a riot. Some allege that the protesters were incited by North Korean agents. No evidence has been found for such claims. But given the deep polarisation of South Korean politics, the latest investigation may not put all these divisions to rest. Green Clicks. The Chelsea Flower Show goes online. It has been the highlight of the British gardening calendar for more than a century. Crowds of over 150,000 usually attend the annual Chelsea Flower Show. But as the coronavirus spread around the world, hopes that the show might go ahead this year have wilted. Disappointed weeders of the world need not fear though. Today it springs up online, with participants using fixed cameras to stream their floral displays all week. The event is no stranger to tricky times. Past years have seen biblical downpours destroy exhibits and a particularly controversial display involving a hidden underground fan blowing up unsuspecting women's skirts. How times change. For many, this year's virtual show could not come at a better moment. Almost half of lockdown Britons have reportedly turned to gardening for amusement. And last week, to the cheers of millions, garden centres reopened. It will be some comfort to know that come rain or shine, the show will go on.
Finally, here's the quote of the day from Bertrand Russell, who was born on this day in 1872. To fear love is to fear life, and those who fear life are already three parts dead. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.